Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Asian Cinema Phone Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. On tonight's episode, we look at the very unique A Penguin's Memory, but before we obviously get into that tale of penguins and Vietnam and shell-shocked veterans returning home, um, it's of course the time to ask what you've been watching and Stephen, what has been holding your interest since the last episode? I've got to be honest, I haven't watched an awful lot Um, and uh, various various reasons, sort of TV shows and things have been taken over the uh, taken over the airwaves and work and stuff, but um, it is October and I know that everyone in film podcasting and blogging likes to watch a horror film every night well i'm refusing to because i found that exhausting last year but i did for a <laughs> piece that i was doing on uh, a short a short little thing i'm doing for the eastern kicks podcast um where they asked what's your favorite asian ghost movie um i re-watched um inner senses only because i wanted to do another take on the leslie chung story um i've watched it many times it's not my favorite asian horror movie ghost story um it's more the story around the film which i find more interesting the film itself is a well it's not it's not a rip-off of the eye but because it came out first but it feels like it is (laughs) (laughs) um but but it's obviously it's got it's leslie chung's last performance and aspects of the conclusion echo his suicide some six to nine months after the film was released so yeah that's it it's it, it's fairly enjoyable um and interesting i was looking at the director some of the director's other films and yeah it, 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 I, i've seen most of his films and i just always find them yeah that was pretty good but nothing to shout home about <laughs> it's a bit of a sad way for sort of leslie chung's career to be uh, bookmarked really in that a film that's not bad it's not good it's just all right, so that's all I've watched really. I hope you've watched more. Okay, I've seen a couple of things, which is probably you know, like two more things I normally have whenever we come to ask this question every episode. Um, first up, though, we've got from 1976. We got the Oily Maniac from the Shaw Brothers. Uh, this is a horror movie directed by uh, Homing Quay. I don't know if you've seen this one or not, Stephen. I haven't, although I was intrigued by the screenshot you put up on the Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, for those obviously not familiar with uh, Homeyn Kwe, he is responsible for some of the more unusual titles in the Shaw Brothers catalogue. I mean, he obviously did uh, Mighty Peking Man, he did The Flying Guillotine, um, and... Uh, yeah, he also uh, did the Dragon Missile as well. So he's a really interesting 
martial arts um, sort of director, but occasionally he went off and did some other bits and pieces uh, that were slightly slightly different. And the Oily Maniac is certainly one of those titles, and you wouldn't think. You know, when you think of Shaw Brothers, you just think of their kung fu side of things. But as we've talked about in the show before, they did a lot more than that as a studio. And certainly, this is one of those movies uh, which certainly falls into the other category, um, in which a handicapped young man decides to take revenge on a bunch of criminals who attempt to, um, who basically, who, sorry, they cause uh, his friend's uncle to be killed and uh, they decide to then return and try and uh, try and rape her so in typical Shaw Brothers I don't know if this is the Shaw Brothers but in, to we just say Hong Kong cinema rape is sort of not as serious a thing it feels like Certain, certainly when it comes to uh, Hong Kong cinema certainly in that time there seems to be a disregard for what it means and you know we've seen films mate where where rape is you know people joke about rape as the punchline to something um and there's a whole famous series of films called raped by an angel isn't there i think it's where anthony wong made his name um (laughs) and um and and it it is bandied around sometimes i i wonder if there's a translation problem and sometimes I realise no, there isn't. There is, there is, there was a completely different attitude to it—a very sort of blokesy, ha ha ha, I raped the shit out of her kind of thing going on. And it is, it is uncomfortable viewing, um, not just with the modern sensibility, but I think I would have felt like that at the time as well. It's, it's a strange word to to pluck out of the English language for for the times it's used but obviously in this case it sounds like it, it's a legitimate use of it albeit still fairly mm. <laughs> well you you say that but we have this amazing I'd say amazing we have this very questionable court trial afterwards where the one of these attempts rapes is trying to justify the fact that why he was in her apartment and it does turn to this whole farcical trial and it's not so much these like you know just this twisting of evidence it's the fact it's done purely for laughs like the whole courtroom scene is just like this supposedly in the mind of the director at least is this really funny sequence they've got where they're joking about this woman's um, attempted rape but the film uh, the main oily maniac of the film is uh, this this uh, handicapped guy who basically discovers his curse which enables him to turn into this oily monster type thing think uh, toxic crusader this is kind of precursor to that and uh, basically he turns into the oily maniac of the title as this monster who basically stomps around and does a lot of slack foo can turn into a puddle and uh, basically goes on a rampage taking on the the bad guys uh but this movie is absolutely bonkers and one i'm kind of tempted to bring to the show at some point just because i'm still not sure exactly what i watched with this one it's um certainly one of the more unusual ones and you can watch it on amazon like all the Shaw brothers movies so it's uh got that curiosity to it um but yeah you've you've only seen the screen cab i posted of that one then steven yeah Although that's just the title, it's everything and everything you've just said. It, it it sounds like the sort of film I thought it would be, and obviously it's from that time when 
What 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 year did you say? I think. Oh, did you say a year even? Uh, this is seventies. Okay, so <coughs> obviously Shaw Brothers did all sorts of films, and of you know we we tend to talk about the martial arts films, I guess, on the show, just sort of Asian film fans in general. But they've obviously got they've they've done all sorts of films from from Cantonese opera to melodrama to a lot of martial arts films and 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 the odd horror and comedy horror along the way although right at the end of of Shaw Brothers as a as a movie studio they were very much in the horror vein with films like Hex and and a couple of others but this this sounds like it's from their more martial arts period just a sort of a, a side a side film that they probably chucked out in two weeks as as, as like everything else yeah, it's not the most uh, realistic of costumes. Like I'll tell you that much. It's this basically this rubber suit that they've covered with oil. It looks like, and uh, there's no facial movement at all. It's just <laughs> these two red eyes and a soundtrack with the monster going ah. It's uh, as he just basically runs around doing a lot of slack food. So yeah, it's not if you're looking for like a high martial arts. Uh, sort of uh, quota here is not the film to watch for even though it doesn't feature a really interesting full body burn so it's got that much going for it at least um, on the other side of things I watched uh, the anime Demon City Shinjuku from 1988 directed by uh, Yoshika Kawaji who is probably best known for giving us the likes of Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust he did Ninja Scroll and Wicked City um, he did the two Goku movies as well as Cyber City Oedo 808 and he also gave us the Highlander anime Search of Vengeance which is really sort of key to this one because it felt like I was watching a Highlander movie even though it's supposed to be a demon horror action film as uh, basically this uh, swordsman called Koya whose father was a great warrior and killed by the psychic Rainbow Ray who in his attempts to open the a portal to hell, has basically turned Shinjuku into a demon wasteland, and it's uh, now up to Kyoya to basically track it, the sorcerer psychic down and uh, defeat him finally, as uh, he's managed to curse the world president. And uh, yeah, this is a really fun anime. It's uh, a lot lighter, especially for a demon anime. There's no sort of like rapey scenes or tentacles or schoolgirls or any of those sort of things that we come to associate with the genre so it's a real sort of starter uh, movie for if you want to watch one of the demon animators it's not too heavy but you get um, some fun action scenes throughout although this is a film that's really let down by the ending as you build up to this epic sort of uh, finale there where he's facing off against this powerful psychic and we got like the Highlander lightning going everywhere and basically defeats him in one hit and it kind of reminded me a lot of the Apocalypse of Awan, the third of the Devilman movies where basically you have the big showdown and they just shrug at each other and the movie ends so it's got a really anticlimactic ending but the build up to it is pretty good there's some interesting demons along the way some fun fight sequences including one on top of a subway train so um, definitely one that's worth uh, checking out and the animation's not too bad either there's a lot of nice blue tints which would really become more of a signature when we look at like Wicked City which bizarrely came before this one and there's so many things that you feel like you're sort of testing to be in that film even though it actually ended up coming first but uh, yeah Demon City Shinjuku it's, uh, as I say it's a 
it's a light action movie and got that demon element in there as well if you want that in your anime but at the same time not wanting anything of the usual sort of more risque tropes that uh, tend to come with the demon anime obviously I haven't watched it <laughs> okay. but uh, as always you you describe it as well that sounds rather interesting <laughs> but... I'm glad that it sounds everything because I just sit here thinking, God, I'm just rambling <laughs> on, going all the way around the houses, and it should like. No, no, it sounds. Um, so it's, it's, it, it sounds interesting. I'm glad you yeah. think it sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure, I'm sure, plenty of our audience love anime, and they think, Oh, if only I could be on the show, I'd talk to her. What about anime to the cows come home? <laughs> it's funny because I posted it. I because I'm obviously doing the 31 Days of Halloween, unlike yourself, Stephen. And I post every day what I've been watching on over on uh, Gemma's Guide to Midnight Cinema, um, whose Facebook group is kind of like a hub for you know cult and foreign cinema fans, so people who like uh, to wander off the more beaten track of uh, cinema watching. It's just a really good hub to talk about film without people just cursing each other out or calling each other offensive names and hurting feelings, that sort of thing. And yeah, they got really excited when I posted about this one. So it's always nice when you post something and it's like, oh, I remember that. So rather than you post something and it gets no response whatsoever. <laughs> but obviously, if our audience do want us to talk about more anime, they have to tell us on the Facebook group. And I will, I will choose something, watch something outside of, you know, obviously, you know, we've done Perfect Blue, Ghost in the Shell. Maybe one day we'll do Akira. I, I, I'm aware and, and have watched and enjoyed plenty of that. But some of this more... Um, it's not obscures. Obscures the wrong word for for it. But this the sort of more... More culty more stuff. More culty stuff. Um, a, a cult within a cult. I don't know what that makes it. An yeah. inverse square of cult. So you want... You just, <laughs> I, I just... So, if you want Stephen to watch more lowbrow anime, is this what you're trying to say, Stephen? You want to watch, I, like... I'm, Rather than like, uh, as we said, the the classy I'm not, stuff. I'm like, not. Sh- like Perfect Blue. I'm and not Akira. sure because obviously I've picked an episode tonight where we're going to watch an anime in a minute, and I'm not really yeah. sure where it stands. <laughs> but we'll talk about that shortly. <laughs> but yes, please, please encourage me. Encourage me to watch something. Um, although... Yeah, get on our Facebook group exactly, and um, and just like. Be like, uh, like in the eighties, and just like say, Nag- "I want my anime." Nag me to death. The same way that they were like saying, "I want my MTV." Nag me to death. And then, yeah, but don't just start like saying, thinking like, "Oh, what's the most twisted stuff we can watch?" Like, and like go, "Oh, I want Steven to watch Geno Cyber," because I don't want to watch <laughs> Geno Cyber again. So, <laughs> so don't start thinking you're gonna burn him with that stuff because I. Don't- Exactly. Find, some of this stuff find something movie length, feature length that that you think is worth it. And if it's of a, an unusual genre, that's even better. Because yeah. again, we've talked about this before, but there is there's a lot more to to anime than than sci-fi and magic and and crazy martial artistry. Um, <laughs> And I've, I've I've watched one or two. Like I watched Empire of the Corpses and really enjoyed that. So, yeah, uh, yeah f- find find me so find us one about them about doctors or something. I don't know <laughs> something that'll 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 intrigue us both. Well, it's Blackjack. 
Again, you're just saying words. He's a doctor. You're just saying words. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying words. <laughs> he, you know. he, he does this before the show. He starts talking about wrestling, and I just think you're just saying words, mate. I, I don't know who these people are. Uh, but there's whole subcultures I'm missing out on, and I want to learn. There bring is. me, bring me, bring me, bring me yes. anime. Mm. And bring me snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're asking for things, if you want to send us snacks, we always appreciate that or as money. well. I keep looking at the like. Um, do you do you see the, do you get the adverts on your Facebook or wherever for like these uh, snack box? Companies? Oh yeah, it's like oh we'll send you like twenty snacks from Japan and stuff, and they always, they know they seem to know be targeted to me because they always seem to advertise Kit Kats. So they just know they know I love a Kit Kat. Oh, those sort of like because in, obviously in Japan a Kit Kat's completely different. <coughs> well, it's, a, it's here, the same so. thing, but they tend to put something like matcha in the chocolate, don't they? And um, and sake in the chocolate. I've had some sake chocolate ones, and uh, and uh, with like strawberry flavour, and the chocolate is all multicoloured and stuff like that. It's very and and they're tiny as well. They don't. We we have like a two finger or a four finger Kit Kat. Which also is a euphemism for a completely yeah. different thing when I was younger, which we're not going to on this show because you don't want to mark it as explicit. But um, they're, they're, they're much smaller. <laughs> it's already marked as explicit. Aren't yeah, I, I, no, but it's, 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 it's beyond explicit <laughs> and not worth talking about on the show. But um, yes, I, I, I ordered some from Amazon once and they were phenomenally expensive and they were a mixture of absolutely delightful yeah. and freaking disgusting <laughs> i've like i've never really understood the japanese love of putting green tea and everything because green tea don't really i've never understood why the japanese are so obsessed with a kit kat they they really got all yeah, out with their, sure. with their flavors for kit kats like um i saw what was it i saw the pump the apple pie mm-hmm. kit kat came through the other week and um the, i think there's a pumpkin one or something for halloween but then again, we come from a obviously a culture where it's pumpkin spiced everything at the moment. Well, that is leaking so. into British culture. Obviously, that's come from America, hasn't it? And but I did notice pump, the pumpkin, pumpkin spice. spice is now leaking into British coffee shops and supermarkets. And yeah, again, pumpkins don't even taste of anything. What's that all about, guys? <laughs> <laughs> pumpkin is the most disappointing mean... vegetable on the planet. If if it's a squash, is it a vegetable or is it a fruit? It's got seeds. I don't know what's going on with a pumpkin though, because you you open up a pumpkin, you think it's gonna be like an apple mm. or something like that. It's gonna be real solid inside, and it's just hollow, well, it's just fibrous. It's like something's got there. It first. is. It's like it, that's exactly what it's like. It's like a fibrous mess in the middle. <laughs> And and it's basically hollow and full of seeds, and you just think, ah, and you just know, you know, like people grow those giant ones, and you just know that's going to be even more disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> you look at you look at his mates in the squash family, the courgette and the and the butternut squash and other gourds, they they tend to have something inside them. Yeah, pumpkin, I don't get it at all. People, outside of Cinderella, what's the point? Again, to the Facebook group if you need to defend pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm currently... Um, I've really got into into pumpkin carving as of last year. And I'm currently in the process of carving the first 100 Pokemon in pumpkin. So, so far I've done Gengar and I've done Snorlax. 
and um, I've got a couple of ideas what I'm going to do this year. I might do like a side duck. Right. You probably want to get onto more than um, one a year if you can do the first hundred. Well, I have a couple, but you know, it takes time <laughs> oh, no, I'm, to I'm, carve I'm these I'm very things. impressed, like and I got... want to see the pictures. But um, I think I, I think you've set yourself a goal, which is unachievable unless you speed up, sir. Well, it's, well, no, it's I'm not. It's not like I've got a shortage of years to do this. It's something to build up over a number of years to do it. It's not like I'm gonna like said, oh, in five years I'm gonna do the first hundred. No, but at the moment, at the moment, before. you'd have to be 130 before you finished, or something like that. So you need to speed up, speed up. You see, I don't think in these terms. I just think, wow, these are like interesting shapes to carve. I don't think well, I've got limited amount of time to finish my goal. It's not like I'm going to be on my deathbed and like neglect... Or the like, man. Or you could be the man. You the, know, lamenting the facts that I didn't do the last 35 The man pumpkins. who refused to die until he'd done the first 100 Pokemon. Elwood Jones, 450, still lives on. <laughs> He's only on 87. <laughs> oh dear, there's a, there's a story there. It's going to be like that old Stellarsher habit. Yeah. <laughs> With a guy on the deathbed, it's sort of like... I only had Oddish to do. <laughs> oh, dear. It's like shakily-handedly carving out my pumpkins. So. Oh, this episode is it's going to make um, no sense when it's not out in October. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are a little ahead of our recording schedule, which we haven't realised oh. already. Um... But that was our pumpkin chat. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to be discussing our feature film, A Penguin's Memory. This holiday season, we're getting drunk. Join Emily and Flo as they drink their way through December with a different festive genre each week as voted for by you. Action. Cha-cha. Horror. Ooh. Classic. What is eggnog? Children. Never really had a glass of milk anymore. And never seen before. I've never seen Die Hard. So grab a sherry and a mince pie and join in the fun. Why this film's Drunk Christmas starts December the 1st. But you know, I think that's a part of growing up. You just, you get like these cartoons put immeasurable guilt on you about stuff you can't control and you just live with it. And that's life. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. Okay, uh, so Penguin's Memory is a unique film, to say the least. And Stephen, I don't know if you know the history behind this film at all. Well, I. Oh, you just went into this completely blind. Well, and I did. Sort of my I pitch. did. I did. I think we had a little chat about it when when you first picked it up. I've never heard of this before. Um, and 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 okay. and, and so I'm kind of hoping you're gonna you're gonna tell the audience where this film's roots are because. Yeah, it's it, there's very little on the internet about it. 
surprisingly little. Well, the film itself was released in 1985 and directed by Shinja Kimura. It's the only feature film that he directed. And the film itself was spawned of the mascot of uh, Suntory Whiskey, whose mascot is a penguin. And looks very familiar to the Club Penguin penguins. Now, as part of their marketing campaign, they had these two penguins who had uh, Mike and he had a girlfriend, Jill, who basically appeared in these um, these adverts and for uh, sorry, and it was uh, Suntory beer. Well, Suntory is a is a Japanese alcohol company, and they do beers and whiskeys. But yeah, this this was for beer. That's the relief then, because as I said, I would, when I first heard about the story, I was doing Centauri whiskey, and um, uh, when I've done a bit more digging, it's uh, said Centauri. No, so Centauri so, so, whiskey's got it's famous because it's got um, connotations with various golf taunts, and also that's what um, Matey Boy's character is advertising in Lost in Translation. <laughs> He's advertising Centauri whiskey. So yes, that's probably why that's sticking in your head, but. Yeah. In fact, this this yeah. this mascot thing. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I, I did. Um, so yeah, they're sort of little blue penguins. Um, and I guess important thing. So they're, they're they're like drawings. They're not like a real penguins or 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 like Pingu or anything like that, where they're animated in any way. Um, they also look incredibly similar to the Konami mascot from the early days of computer games who was like basically Konami games all had this penguin it was called Penta and he looks exactly like that as, as these guys as well and it does make you wonder if they got taken off the market because there was a bit of copyright robbing going on here but yes so it could be Penta but this is Mike and we're going to get used to the name Mike because they say it a lot in this film <laughs> carry on but yeah, I mean, you completely right. Konami obviously owned the rights to the Blue Penguin design, and that's why he ends up in Club Penguin. I just forgot where I forgot where I saw these penguins before, and it's just so familiar. Yeah, but um, the originally these adverts, he started a series of adverts to start that really started airing around 1983, and they were very melancholy, a little ill-advised, and uh, basically, you know, they revolved around Mike originally and his girlfriend. Jill, and they had a they built up a little bit of cult following as you know good adverts do. I mean, over here we've got our own sort of line of cult adverts when we think of Nest Cafe with Anthony Stewart Head. Uh, we thought, think of the Bisto family, um, and more recently we've got like the Go Compare. So you know they they vary in their irritability. I mean, over here we've obviously got the uh, that chain of mascots, fucking meerkats. meerkats. Compare the meerkats. Oh. Oh, Symbols. that's made us explicit for sure. But yes, yeah, we do, as we, we, us Westerners do like a serial advert, don't we, I guess. And I guess the advertisers love that because it builds us kind of brand loyalty. Um, so I guess that's that's where this came from. And I guess also the whole idea of mascots in Japan is has a, other levels of weirdness as well, doesn't it? With their, well, I've... everywhere's got a mascot. Everything's got a mascot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, certainly you're right in saying that. I mean, Japan is certainly a country that loves a mascot, and various towns have their own mascot. Um, as we've seen, there's that um, drumming apple cat. Have you seen him at all? Um, I don't know. There's there's hundreds of them. 
There's but a... yes, they get they get occasional occasional Twitter notoriety, don't they? Yeah, there's um there's one which is a basically it's um it's a it's an apple inhabited by the ghost of a cat. So it's like this red cat face mascot, and he drums. But uh, yeah, you're right. They oh, different towns have their own natural mascots. But yeah, with these uh, two penguins, they basically were in a series of adverts, and they became so popular that they formed. They were on merchandise as well, and it was really because of this popularity that they, you know they decided that they were going to make a feature length film based on these these penguins uh the end result being a penguin's memory which is the film we're obviously discussing tonight i have to wonder at the same time did suntory actually know what they were getting when they commissioned this film well it gets even weirder though doesn't it because i think hopefully you and i have both watched the japanese version yes but it was also one of the first animes to be given an american makeover with american voiceovers and even and an, an edits and an extra scene which i don't i don't know what the extra scene is but it yeah so this is back in what 1985 so this is this is early on in america's adoption of of anime type properties See, i didn't even um, know that they even put out yeah. english stuff i thought it was just this japanese version that they put they put out no, there's an english dub but it doesn't appear to be I mean, I assume you watched it on YouTube like I did, where there's yeah. a couple of full-length versions of it on there. Um, there's no, there's no video, there's no DVD. Yeah, it's got a really interesting history, and as we'll talk about in a minute, it's a pretty unique offering. Definitely so. I mean, this film is a film that basically came out, and it was, by all intents and purposes, forgotten. And it's really just through the anime community and like the fan sub community that this film has basically been saved from being like lost in time essentially and as we said already we both watched this on youtube where you can currently find it at the moment but yeah there is no plans to release this on dvd in in any near future plans or anything it's by all intents and purposes has been forgotten by everyone involved in the film and it's kind of really surprising because it's a very unique tale to say the least as while you look at these these cute little penguins and you think oh you know what what delightful prequel story are we going to get from these and in the end we essentially get the deer hunter towed f- with penguins albeit without russian roulette but yeah it's, uh, it's 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 the story of one man comes back one penguin comes back from war um suffering from ptsd and uh finds love with a idol <laughs> it's just but yeah it's do you know, in the last few episodes, mate, we've 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 looked at a film which was involved genital mutilation and removal. We've looked at a Bruce Lee film which determined not to show Bruce Lee fighting. Yeah. And yet this is the weirdest thing we've watched for years. <laughs> this is the strangest thing, but at the same time, really well done. <laughs> this is definitely yeah. It's just I think this is one of the more surprising movies, and I think that when we when we were like talking about this film and just like seeing people's sort of interest of of this uh, what of the concept behind this film, just sort of made me want to feel that we had to sort of cover it on the show. I have to like give thanks as well to uh, World for Exploding Hel- Helicopters, 
who was the Explain Hair Cutters podcast who've covered this film already, uh, for bringing it to my attention. I had no idea about this film at all, and he'd featured it because his whole thing is he likes to chart um, how helicopters explode in film. And he'd posted a clip of this film uh, from the start of the exploding helicopter moment, and I was like, wow, it's, you know, it's penguins in Vietnam. That's something unique, and that sort of concept drew me in. And then on Anime in America podcast, the Crunchyroll uh, podcast that they put out recently, again, they mentioned about this film, and it sort of reminded me that, you know, we hadn't discussed this film. But, yeah, this film, it opens in um, in Vietnam, or as it's referred to in the film, the Delta War. And basically, Mike and, and a couple of his penguin comrades are in the midst of a battle in the Southeast Asian jungle. And they're very sort of disillusioned by the war that is happening around them in the same way that Mike in particular is in, is essentially shocked to his core when he sees a um, refugee group gunned down by his own forces. And while attempting to escape from um, from, the, from being escaped from the uh, jungle, he loses both of his comrades and essentially returns to home completely shell shocked and struggling to deal with what he's endured out there on the battlefield. And his family and his friends all basically see him as this big war hero and they just want to know about his like accomplishments and his war stories. And he doesn't want to talk about it at all, he just wants to put it all behind him. and as a person he's just very soft-spoken he likes french poetry and this whole situation that he's been through is just really sort of shocked him to his core so he ends up going on the road and becoming a drifter and to he finally ends up in this town uh where he takes a job as a librarian and um basically escapes into his French poetry where he finds the is the only thing he finds comfort and it's really with the arrival of this idol character who um uh Jill uh that um he's sort of given a chance at really trying to repair some of the damage that he's done to himself mentally but at the same time can he still form a connection with um people after what he's been through so it's a very unique tale and certainly one that you wouldn't expect in how when you look at it it's just like adorable cute penguins it's like you don't expect to see penguins in vietnam it's you don't expect to watch happy feet as directed by oliver stone um so i was very surprised at just how well this story was told i mean what's your sort of opening thoughts on this one then Stephen? well like you i i i kind of half expected it not to be what it was going to look like because let's face it, it it's very simplistic drawings the you know the, it looks like the club penguin penguins yeah it, this this isn't like the sort of anime that maybe we've watched before where the art's incredibly detailed and the character works incredibly detailed although the background and the stuff early on in vietnam the 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 helicopters yes they do explode and and the tracer tracer line bullets like going through the dark jungle it's really really well done but on the whole it's more akin to an episode of hello kitty than <laughs> than that and, and they got uh, the little sort of triangular um penguins they all look the same they all live in this weird world where penguins are basically what human beings are 
but other birds are still birds. And dogs. Yeah, it's... <laughs> and dogs. Yeah. It's, it, uh, dogs are going to live with, but the, the fact that penguins are, I'm pretty sure, are birds, so yeah. why would... Yeah, oh, every other bird, like ducks, and and uh, Mike has a pet... Um, I don't know what sort of bird it is, but he has sort of a cage bird as a pet, and you just think, oh, if we, were, if they, if we move these back to humans, would that be a little tiny person that'd keep in a cage i don't know and so there's this kind of weird stuff and there's also this really striking line which i know was taken out of the american edit but it's left in the japanese one where he's um mike's down in the i don't know they found some kind of hole in the ground haven't they to hide from the from the battle while one of his friends is sort of recovering from being shot another one comes down and they sort of have they spend this last night together and uh have you got mike have you have you got a girl at home no no i haven't have you got a girl at home? Because yeah, she's big and blonde and busty. <laughs> he says, and it's like, what? <laughs> and and then he says, no, I just made her up, or, or something, or something along those lines, or it's just a girl I like the look of, but she doesn't even know I exist. But yeah, just think. But there are no blonde busty penguins anywhere in the film. Because <laughs> the only difference between any of the characters is a couple of them have got seem to have black skin, and a couple of them, well, and and Jill has a flower in her hair, always. All the others, you can't, I can't use. It's very hard to tell the difference for any of them. But despite all that, despite the fact the animation is fairly basic, um, despite there's all this sort of non sequiturs around the world that, that's generated here, it's a really touching and affecting drama. And there's some there's some nonsense stuff goes on later on. But you know, you could really imagine. You know, you call what did you call it? Like the deer hunter, right? Yeah, it's. It, it, it does sit alongside Deer Hunter, born on the 4th of July, that kind of... Uh, the, the early parts of the first Rambo film, you know? It, it's, it, it's the story of people who come back from war, and obviously the Japanese weren't in Vietnam, so, but I guess, I guess you know, it's still... They're still close enough to some of these wars to, to have that sense of... of of young men who get sent out to war and it seriously affects them and PTSD and and and, and the, the way that they are completely disconnected from society um, yeah it, it, it's Club Penguin by way of Oliver Stone right? Definitely so and you, you wouldn't think that for the style of animation that they use that this is going to be such a, a touching story and it's a very simplistically told story it's not the sort of going for like big dramatic moments is a very sort of simple story that's being told here and it's you're just everything sort of like told through these this small group of characters in particular you uh with mike who even when he returns from war and, and stuff i mean he he's struggles right from the moment he gets off the train to like adjust to life um back home i mean the girl he fancied he was like planning on hooking up with she's got married and all his family just want him to you know talk about the war and it's only really his sister who sort of understands what he's going through and you see it during those sort of drifter moments like just how he's searching for a place to a place to belong somewhere where he's got the amenity and at the same time, he can just basically find some sort of comfort because we see him like on the road and he's like they're gambling and he wins on the slot machine, just walks away and leaves all his winnings. And um, he gets involved in a warehouse fight uh, that's happening. He gets uh, beaten up by this large giant penguin. Um, so he's 
has all these these moments where he's trying to find some sort of feeling, some sort of connection, and he ultimately finds it just through his love of French poetry. These, this is what provides him the uh, comfort. And we are introduced to uh, Jill, who also lives in this small town that he ends up in, and she's apparently a lounge singer and she's teaching the kids music but when we say teach the kids music she's like embarking on like sound of music style musical moments these highly choreographed uh sequences yeah she... <laughs> just sort of wandering through the park getting singing along getting the kids to badly sing along with her yeah <laughs> but again you could kind of envisage it if, if this was live action and people that would make sense to a degree um very strange very strange uh, completely different to what had gone before when jill appears and starts <laughs> singing the first song and you and you know in the previous 10 minutes you've seen him the ship beaten out of him by a giant penguin um where he didn't fight back and uh and he's been you know all his, his both his mates died in the war and he went home and you know welcome home mike you hear how many people did you kill mike and you know his complete rejection of of that. And then this, hello, I am Jill, and I'm having a nice time. <laughs> just, oh, see, this, weird. <laughs> the moment, like when he's at home and it's like, "Oh, your auntie and uncle here. They travel many miles to hear about how you kill people in Vietnam." It's sort of like, wow. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you're being yeah. very rude. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to talk about the horrors of war in my family. <laughs> um, <coughs> but yeah, it's it's strange. And then and then Jill. I mean, I guess the point is that Jill is a is a fresh start, isn't she? She's uh, yeah. I mean, Jill embodies this like light and and uh, love. She's like this this uh, she's this nurturing spirit, and in everything she does is all about other people. She's a very selfless penguin, and she has a flower that's permanently attached to her head, like a. Uh, slightly off-center yamaka because apparently whoever was drawing these things didn't really know how to do 3D that well. <laughs> Jill has got her own issues because she's been kind of betrothed to a wealthy surgeon who um, we're told from uh, her father comes from a good family as well so he's some very good stock but at the same time he's kind of a cad as he's having an affair with uh, one of his nurses who he keeps in a secret apartment and uh this nurse is fully aware that he's uh also you know trying to woo jill at the same time and he's determined that he's going to put the moves on jill so he obviously stands in mike's way and we also have a cd music manager who's determined to turn jill into a star and has his own sort of <laughs> bizarre rich rich penguin fantasies of uh what uh that that career is going to entail for himself so we have these um, and and his and his and his comedy heavies, <laughs> yeah, which we'll come back to <laughs> around with him. So, yeah, well, you think obviously you know the paths there for Mike and Jill because they hit it off straight away, and uh, he's very sort of very sort of charmed by him, and apparently she likes really sort of dour, moody penguins who like French poetry, so she's perfect for him. So but he's a he's a cle- he's the cleverest person she's ever met. <laughs> you forgot. You've forgotten one other thing about okay. Jill. There's a tragic backstory, of course, isn't there? Of of her mother disappeared on her. Well, this is the thing. I wasn't sure what was supposed to be going on with the mother storyline in here. Because 
<laughs> yeah. She's being kind of raised very... by the anti-character. Yeah. And then we get this whole revelation when she's sort of like deciding where she's going to go with her career. Is she going to leave for the big city, which obviously means leaving Mike. Because um, he doesn't want to go to the big city. He wants to just live his quiet little life. And um, we have this very confusing conversation that she has with her auntie. And I'm not sure there's a revelation there or not, but... Well, there is that it's she's not an auntie at all, but she's the mum. <laughs> she's left them to remain in their lives as an auntie. It's the weirdest thing, and they sort of wordlessly understand. Even later on, where Mike, she sort of tells Mike, but they don't really use words, and they and he goes, "Oh right, that'll explain that." Then he says something along those lines, <laughs> but they never outright say. Yes, I am your mother, Luke. Uh, no, sorry, that's a different film. Um, I am your mother, Jill. But it's all sort of wordlessly expressed. And you just think, that was the rubbish leaving your child behind of all time. <laughs> you know, you see, it's like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave my child behind, but remain utterly in her life and raise her as if she was my own child, which she is. Very strange, very strange. Um, but again... Maybe some of those adverts. Maybe there's some payoff from some of the adverts in this. I don't know. It's just weird. But again, not not horrible because it doesn't use up. You know, quite often in you know in live action films with some nonsense piece of familial shenanigans going on, that kind of ruins it. This isn't really important. You know, you could have dropped that whole five minutes of, of screen time and the film would have been exactly the same so it's just it's just a weird thing yeah i mean the I mean, again why do you why are these characters penguins i mean obviously it's you got this connection to the suntory commercials that uh that these are obviously seven as this film serving as a prequel to but it's all like why penguins it's all like it's not like you were looking at mouse which has obviously got the uh, the Nazi and Jew connotation by having you know the cats as the Nazis, cats, and, cats and mice. Yeah, um, yeah. I do you know it's it, 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 that's that's a thing that that bothered me because um, quite often when they sort of anthropomorph anthropomorphize, I don't know. You know yeah, the word after. Um, the Arts Beagleman Mouse is a, is a classic example where the Jews are mice and the Nazis are cats, and you know the 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 the, 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 the the, the, the things that happen in nature are sort of played out in this horrible thing that's just happening in the human world. Um, e- even other films, I guess, that we can think of, although I can't name off the top of my head, they use this and, and, and use the characteristics of those animals to, to tell something of a human story. I cannot understand why there is a world that has been populated by penguins. It's not even as if Japanese people will be really that au fait with the penguin period. I have no idea why it needs. Uh... You... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, just strange. I have no idea but, who even this film was um, designed to appeal to. Either, I mean, who, who thinks of like penguins and think, well, I really want to watch a, a really intense coming home story, but with penguins. It, the, 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 the... In, in drawn in the Hello Kitty style. That's a, that's the other thing. If if they'd been penguins, it'd been like incredibly detailed art or something like that. Maybe I could have dug it. Well, no, that's no, because I was saying I didn't like it, which which I did actually a lot. But it's just the the why, and it is like it is like if they made 
a Hello Kitty film where one of Hello Kitty's like Choco Cat came back <laughs> from Vietnam. <laughs> that's, that's and 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 had clinical depression, PTSD, and fell in love with another cat, and uh, yeah, and Hello Kitty sang a couple of songs, and and then there was a because of course the other thing that happened that's weird. Oh, like the like the payoff. What's the name of the doctor fella? I want to say he's Bob, but he probably is. He was Jack. I don't, know, I, I don't know how I've forgotten because they say each other's names all the time. <laughs> True, and his like, character arc though is very uh, weird because he has the initial confrontation with Mike in in the restaurant, and mm. they meet again in in the in the park, and he has this whole they have this connection because obviously both of them served in the Delta War, although obviously with Mike he was on the front lines and this doctor was. Um, more sort of reserved, but he he went for his own trauma, basically dealing with the the sick and the dying. And his way of dealing with it was be was just by removing any sort of sentimentality. And he sort of mocks himself. He's sort of like, oh, he's sort of like, uh, look at me, I'm now the sentimental doctor. That's not a good thing. Um, and he, he's uh, he's yeah. an incredible doctor. It has to be said. He's a very accomplished surgeon. I mean, he's able to use many utensils despite not having fingers, like forceps. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to see how you use forceps. Yeah. But but that's a really that conversation that they have in the park. And when I say conversation, it's more like a speech by the doctor because Mike, not Mike's, not the chattiest sort. In any in any situation, again, really weird person to have as your main character, someone who only ever seems to say Jill. <laughs> um, but uh, um, Randall, well, I've got the name of the poet that he likes, who is doesn't seem to be French, and I can't actually find anything about Randall James, yes. isn't it? That's the name of the. I, I spent a long time trying to find out if there was a poet called Randall James, and the only poet I called with an eight found even the similar name can't be who they mean um, because it's like somebody involved with the um, the lost cause myth of the south of, in America so I don't think so um, but anyway but yeah the, the doctor sort of has this sort of speech where he gets up sits down walks around and basically sort of tests Mike says to Mike uh, do you love Jill and Mike sort of doesn't answer because good it's good that you didn't answer because if you answer too quickly that either means you were lying or you were too keen or something. <laughs> it could be good that you're like this and sort of basically talks himself out of any relationship with Jill which was all a bit is it really going on anyway I'm not I'm not sure outside of her father's head whether it was really happening anyway <laughs> and 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 then he just sort of wanders off down the avenue as, as saying, as you said, being sentimental isn't good for a doctor. Have you ever met a sentimental doctor? And that's the last we see of him. Very weird. A very weird set piece that even Mike seems to be somewhat confused by. Definitely so. And I think it's purely because once he's out of the picture, we then have sort of the introduction of the, the manager. Um, again, the manager, when he's like first introduced and he sees what a potential star that Jill uh, is going to be, and he has like these music fantasies of um, just like throwing money around while being surrounded by attractive penguins. And 
the film does this great sequence where it has these like where he's like in the big mansion, he's in the pool, he's on the boat, and then it when Jill decides she doesn't want to put out a record with him, we see the same fantasy, but now he's like completely bankrupt, so like his pool's empty and the boat sinks, and it's just it's like a really humorous sequence. Uh, and this guy's dream suddenly like shattering before him. Um, but um, yeah, oh, I don't, yeah, and 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 he's also drawn. He's he's the first character that we meet, other than that giant penguin that beat him up, that has any kind of real visual personality, if that makes sense. Oh, he's got a is it a monocle, and he goes around with a with a with a cane and a mustache. That's right, and uh, yeah, he has a certain you know, and and he look. Basically, he, what he looks like is one of those um, moustache-twirling villains from a 1920s... Um, I'm surprised he didn't tie Jill to the train line. No. You know, he looks like one of them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, basically he uh, blames Mike for Jill turning her back on a music career. And he, we get this uh, finale where he turns up with his two goons. Uh, one of them is so evil that he throttles his Mike's bird... In one of the more randomly disturbing sequences of the film, it has to be said. Um, which apparently is all it takes for Mike to snap <coughs> out yeah. of his uh, his shell shock, really, and go absolutely postal. <laughs> Mike's yeah, Mike's strange captive mini him. <coughs> that that um. Oh well, no, actually, let's let's go back a bit because Jill goes round to Mike's and plays with the bird. And Mike's or something. Like it's all right. He won't fly at the window. He's he's fully trained now, so he's fully characterised. Yeah. And then Mike says, "Let's go out for a drop." And she says, "Okay," and literally throws the bird away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And just, they don't put it back in its cage or anything. She just stops playing with it. Just sort of chucks it away. And says, yes, "Let's go out for a drive." So, yeah, Jill doesn't. It's very weird. A very weird setup, but I I kind of like the the comedy bad guy because at least he looks different and his little and and that those, those montage sequences you were talking about that was kind that was kind of cool and that felt like it was um did you know overall it felt more like a Western animation than a Japanese one yeah I I, I could have seen this not 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 being full on Disney but you know in or around that time we had we had other people putting out animations i'm thinking of like animal olympics and things like that yeah it, it, it felt like that it felt like um you know it's clearly set in america or a japanese version of america because like when mike reads the book he reads it from um back to front as if he was <laughs> japanese <laughs> there's just little 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 weird things like this this weird version of america populated by penguins maybe that's it maybe americans are penguins because we never see anybody else in the Delta. We, do, we never see the bad guys, do or the, the other side. So maybe people in different countries are different animals. Don't know. But yeah, it, it had a very Western feel as opposed to a Japanese feel. The way that we had a couple of little songs from out of nowhere. Um, the way... It, it, some, some of the subject matter. Um, it, I don't know, just tonally, tonally it felt like a much more Western cartoon. Um, or, or animated feature. So yeah, hmm. I don't know. 
I just feel like we're having a go at it all the time, but I think we both really enjoyed it. Didn't I'd we? say it's a, certainly a film worth checking out. I wouldn't say it's going to be one that would include my rotation because it goes on a while. It's about an hour and forty-six minutes, so and it's also yeah, it's definitely a good twenty minutes to Yeah, long. and it's also not the fast most fastest pace of film. It's a very melancholy film. Um, but at the same time, it's it's a very it's a very engaging story that it has in this journey of watching Mike uh basically battle his way into in, in back into life really um it's just a really sort of engaging mm. i mean all the characters are really interesting and the story as it unfolds is also really interesting as well this relationship that develop, develops between mike and jill and obviously the obstacles that stand in their way um and i was so sure as i said i was so sure with the ending um that it was going to go like a very different way, and then it obviously pulls a little bit of a twist around me at the end, and and uh, give us sort of a more traditional ending. So God, yeah, it 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 looked like it was going to be the saddest film in the world. Um, <laughs> that Mike Mike wasn't going to get fixed, and this was just going to be a blip on the way to his eventual. Well, I don't know really what was going to happen to well, Mike in the end, but a, yes, luckily Jill crossroads, um, Jill pulled it out of the bag. Yeah, um, and I love the fact mm. that. The two places he wants to he wants to visit. He wants to even visit these mountains. Or he wants to visit a beach, and they just happen to be at this crossroads. Um, yeah, so he, we had this wonderful uh, shot of him at the the signpost, and it's in opposite directions to each other. He can either go to the beach or he can go to the mountain. These two places on his bucket list he wants to see, and um, then he obviously has we get the big reunion, reunion sort of sequence there. So. I um <clears throat> oh oh and and but at no, but and at no point do they have any Suntory beer either. No, I was I was no. waiting for that to happen. <laughs> they um I thought I thought might might get rescued by uh by by a by a nice cold glass of beer or something, but I guess not. Although there is a bit, isn't there? There is a bit at the beginning where again when they're in that little um. That little sort of dug hole in the middle of Delta World, or wherever it is, they're they're fighting. Where his mate says, "Yeah, you need you need to give the sick one, and he he could do with a nice cool glass of beer. That will make him feel better." <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is coming from that world. But yeah, I don't. I, can you can you call a a film about um? PTSD and depression charming because that's what I want to call it it's weird it's a weird one a weird one like you it's never gonna it's never I'll, I'll probably never watch it again but you tell you what I will tell other people about it yeah and I will you know I will show them where it is on YouTube and say hey this is a this is a really you know we, we watch a lot of weird shit right and and I guess when you know, when I tell people I, I'm I'm into Asian cinema, they 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 usually they usually go one of three ways. They either think you're into really weird shit, they either think you're into kung fu movies, or they think you watch Japanese <laughs> porn for some reason. Which spoilers is the worst porn in the world, but never mind. Um, and this would go into the really I weird would say shit that this category, is, um, but not in the way that they. If think. I was going to compare it to anything we've looked at odd. before, I would say that this is on par with a classic. Um. Both. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's like, go to Vietnam. May even have some thema- some thematic similarities this, to it this as This one, well. it's not Vietnam; it's the Delta, but we all know it's Vietnam. Yeah. Um, yes, indeed. And, and I love the fact that um, if you go is. if you go onto YouTube, um, there's people there who've like re-soundtracked the Vietnam sequence of this to uh, Creed's uh, "Fortunate Son." <laughs> Which is just, it gives it a whole other thing. It's not as uh, melancholy for that one, that's for sure. <laughs> and then, did it get you that stupid harmonica song that he constantly keeps playing? Yeah, that's that's another thing. I forgot he played the harmonica. I don't know how I don't know how a penguin plays a harmonica with a beak, but yeah, that. <laughs> but that's from something, isn't it? That's from. I'm sure that's from. Is that might even be from the Deer Hunter? It's it's, it's obviously a trope that they're they're wanting to play off um but there's just so much in it it's such a simple film and when i said it's done in hello kitty style and it's quite basic some of it's really well done like some of its use of light and dark um i i still think that that first sequence in the in in the delta jungle is magnificent Mm. you know it's it's you know this is this isn't modern anime this is 1985 this is this is well before anime had become a cross cultural phenomenon. Um, so yeah, yeah, fa- fair play to it. And it's just again, like like you, it's not going to go into my rotation. It's not going to be a film I'm going to come back to again and again. I'm never going to go and watch it on YouTube again. But it's well worth watching to see the sort of thing that you know we were talking about a bit earlier but anime can do so much more than just be gross or, or upskirts mm. and things like that you know this has got a really serious story and if they if it was live action and they weren't penguins and they were people this would be an interesting movie right <laughs> um, maybe it'd be able to explain more the fact that he's constantly playing this melancholy son um nick is sorry mike is and he breaks up with uh, with Jill. You know, he pushes her away, and he goes off to a bar to have a drink. And the piano man in, in the bar is like, "Oh, what can I play for you?" And as it's played, in Tim to like pick some like more melancholy music because that seems to be his bag. He's like, "No, I'll play something upbeat." And I'm thinking that kind of goes in the face of what we're watching. Because you expect him to play like something more laid back and quiet, so he can. And have a drink and stew in his thoughts, but no. Apparently, the way that Mike does that is by listening to upbeat piano music. No, no, you'd expect expect him to play some Tom Waits or something, wouldn't you? Like <laughs> the piano has been drinking, something like that. But no, no, they play <laughs> they play some some tippy tappy music. But the 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 music the music bits in this film actually the bits I could do without Jill singing nothing right or wrong with it it just doesn't match and, and that scene as well I'd have played that slightly differently and Mike does have his dozy harmonica which is not a, not a, not a, not a musical instrument I'm a fan of at the best of times let alone played by a penguin with PTSD at random points in his life isn't it's such an earworm though. It is. It even is. though I can't like replicate it, it's just still stuck in my head. It's still like even now talking about it, it's back in there. It's like ah. Uh, so what what you mustn't do is take a take a audio clip of it and put it on the podcast at the end. <coughs> to earworm our listeners. Anything else you want to talk about this one? No, I don't think so. I think you know th- th- there's not a lot to this one. 
and it is enjoyable. I think we both liked it, uh, surprisingly, and it's far better than the elevator pitch suggests it might be. Um, but it's it's weird, <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I wondered even why it got, got a place on the show. To be honest with you, when you first mentioned it, I thought this is going to die, but no, it was it was a good film. I enjoyed it. Oh really? I thought I thought that it was like perfectly in keeping you know, when I you know, pictures, you know, deer hunting with I, penguins. I thought well that's oh, no. what I thought, other I thought, reason we want to look at it, so Oh no, I thought the idea was magnificent. I just thought I I looked at the art work and sort of fast forwarded through the YouTube video and I thought Yeah. This looks a bit naff, but no, it, it it's far better than the sum of its parts and far better than it ought to be. And it is a shame that it's it's you know, it is the ultimate lost film, as far as I'm concerned, because I think it only exists on YouTube. Someone must have taped it off the telly or something. I don't know how. Well, the copy we had, um, it must have come even from a, a very old DVD, an old DVD or a laser disc, because mm. partway through it says "end of side one." Oh, it does. Side yeah. two, <laughs> and then you've yeah. got to sit there for a couple of minutes while the guy obviously flips his DVD over or whatever. That's got to be a laser disc, uh, yeah. Yeah, weird. Worth hunting down, though. That may be a challenge. But uh, and also, apparently, in the um, in the American dub, um, Leah Thompson plays the Doctor's floozy. <laughs> so that's Marty McFly's mum, isn't it? Um, and I was thinking, so, and that was just just about when she was in Back to the Future. So that's a bit weird. Yes, um, so so yeah, I need to find the American dub as well because apparently there's an extra scene in it, and um, so yeah, I don't I don't think I'm done with this film quite yet. Maybe we Mike shall see a new song. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's, that's the thing. It's like he remembers the rest of the bloody song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what they could really add in here, but I don't know. There's something about this film. It handles. It handles the idea of of uh, the shell shocked veteran coming home a lot better than a lot more modern movies. When you look at things like Jarhead, American Sniper, this idea of you know, and uh, even like um, the Hurt Locker, this idea that you train somebody for war and that's all that they they know, um, and it, as such, it's very more in tune of you know like. Uh, the likes of, um, as we said already, um, the deer hunter in particular is the one I constantly keep going back to when I refer to it. But at the same time, you can look at like how Ashby's coming home from '78, or uh, first, even as we said already, like the drifter parts of uh, First Blood, mm. when uh, Rambo's like first coming into the town. It's basically what Mike is reduced to at the part of this. So, but um. So I- so I yeah. can confirm, I can confirm there was a Japanese laser disc of this, but I'm assuming subtitle-wise that's all fan subs. Um, there doesn't appear to have been an American release of it at all. Um, but there you go, there's something for me to hunt down. <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, that was Penguin's Memory, A Tale of Happiness. That's a really awkward subtitle, isn't it? I don't know why 
I forgot that part of the title no. before. The tale of a lack of happiness. Oh, God. Oh. Um, yes, available now on YouTube. Uh, so you can definitely go check that out. A very unique watch um, and one that um, I would recommend checking out. I haven't really got anything to really sort of compare it to in terms of Asian cinema. I mean, obviously, you could talk about the classic. I mean, that obviously has the... the it's a unique take on uh, the Vietnam War as well, but at the same time, the classic's also three hours long and involves cursed jewellery, so... Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I hadn't even thought about pairing it with anything, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't think of anything, but I guess there's a whole bunch of Korean rom-coms that use the Korean and the Vietnam War as a prop to create some some character change. Um but my my you know my feel was you know like you said it, it's this is a this is an American it feels like an American film um, very much so and and the films like the Deer Hunter that we've talked about before um, bits of Born on the Fourth of July bits of early parts of um, First Blood um, that, that those films which deal with the the, the PTSD and and um, I'll tell you there's another one. Um, there's another. What's the third film in the Oliver Stone series? Uh, oh, or, Heaven and F. With 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 Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, that that yeah, the kind one of nobody film, ever remembers. Which, which is um again, you know, it's about a guy who comes back and and isn't a very nice person when he comes back. Obviously, he's not a penguin. He's Tommy Lee Jones, and there's a it's a bit more deeper. Um, a bit more deeper. Well, you know what I mean. But yes, I can't think of another anime to fit in. I can't think of another Asian film to fit in, and and I don't think I want to. I think. This should this should absolutely stand on its own, surviving in the vortex of YouTube. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, so we'll see. There you there you have it. And uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Um, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button where you happen to listen to us and leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can check us out on for Facebook and Instagram. Facebook in particular is really we're a, our main sort of hub at the moment. We have some great uh, discussions happening on there as we post not only announcements for our new episodes but also uh, other fun bits and pieces, news articles and uh, whatnot on there as well. You can check out full archive episodes at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com which also has uh, has more reviews and things such as that we've got the movie vault from David Brooke we've got the dark side of Asian cinema we've got the mixtape on there, there's a load of interesting fun stuff on there as well uh, but Stephen, it is your turn to pick next and what are you going with? Ah, you don't know what we're going to choose do you? Right so, <clears throat> after that mate, and after our last few episodes I think it's you know we, we, we've been doing some weird and wonderful stuff, I think it's time to write an Asian cinema film club wrong, and it's time to watch a Jackie Chan film. Okay. And I'm I'm picking Project A. Interesting. Mostly because I, would have you would have I have a police story, but I a police story was there. Police story was on the list, but okay. I've got a nice new Blu-ray of Project A that I haven't watched yet, so that'll get it <laughs> off my watch file. I've also got Project A two on the same on the same collector's disc, but but just do Project A. Um, I, I I've seen it a long, 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 long time ago, um, and it was actually one of the films that someone presented to me when I said oh, I don't really like Jackie Chan, don't really get what it's all about. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I, and, I, 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 and it was one of the films that helped me get it. So yeah, let's finally get on to Jackie Chan. Let's finally let's finally get him done before episode one hundred and uh, enjoy. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, Project A, directed uh, by Chan himself, it features many sort of those classic moments, such as the clock tower hang, uh, real homage to safety first. Mm-hmm. Safety last. In my head, it's safety first, but safety last would be better, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, featuring the lucky stars, so you obviously got Samuel Hung, you got Young Biao, uh, who we've obviously covered uh, before. I mean, obviously Young Biao and Summer Hung, they were in Eastern Condors, which we covered before. And I mean, Summer has been a regular fixture on this show. Mm. If, He's made a couple of times, hasn't he? Intentional, <laughs> so. Uh, so it's good, obviously, to uh, look at uh, Jackie Chan's uh, in Project A. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, definitely a, a good one to discuss and definitely one in terms of Chan's career with some very interesting moments of stunt work there as well, so. But uh, all that's coming up on our next episode. Thank you as always for listening. And if you haven't done as well, uh, check out our bonus podcast, the Battle Royale podcast, where myself and Stephen are going through Battle Royale one DVD chapter at the time. You can find that on both our main feed as well as looking at Battle Royale podcast as well, available from where all good podcasts can be found. Uh, but uh, until next time, thank you as always for listening. And thank you to my co-host, Stephen. Sayonara, everybody. And uh, we'll be back next time to talk about Project A. Good night. Hey! 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 This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.